1: Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And as is my new habit, no preamble, just straight into it. Who the fuck are you? What do you do?
0: My name is Espen Fadnes. I'm uh, 41 years old now, living in Norway. That's also where I was born and raised, and uh, yeah, I grew up with a lot of climbing and skiing and surfing and the use of, of steep mountains back home, and started skydiving when I was 20, and uh, yeah, it became my life. <laughs>
1: you kind of went to town with that, didn't you? <laughs> Well, like a lot of people that are listening, I've been watching uh, all the stuff that you've been putting out for quite some time now. I mean, your name is synonymous with... Pretty fucking sick wingsuit stuff. That bright red wingsuit doing just incredible stuff um, and really cutting edge stuff that uh, kind of definitely makes the average skydiver like me nervous as hell. So I'm always, I always enjoy talking to the people that are out there really sending it. And uh, you are one I've been after for a while. So thanks for taking the time to sit down and talk.
0: Thank you for letting me come and join the talk.
1: Yeah, man. So uh, let's jump all the way to the uh, the beginning. You you're born and raised in Norway, which obviously is some pretty spectacular country. So I'm assuming you were into what the rest of the world would consider extreme type sports pretty early.
0: Yeah, I I come from um, from a very like sport sporty place in Norway. It's a small town. It's called Molde, where. It's kind of like a place where either you do sports or you might as well just get out of there. Hmm. Like it's just uh, it's just not a place for people that don't want to be outdoors or do you know football or climbing or skiing or anything like that. And, and then it's just nothing for you there. Sure. But uh, yeah, and I mean, I grew up with a dad that was a very passionate climber and uh, he brought me up climbing from a very young age like i was five years old when he brought me rope climbing for the first time and wow he it became a thing where we went out climbing and uh, i started competing in climbing and uh, oh, wow. at the same time also part of the skiing club uh, doing alpine racing and uh, and that was combined with also hiking in big mountains and the big mountain ski so i grew up with what I would say, a high acceptance of taking risk for fun. Mm. It was totally acceptable from my parents' side, from my friends' side, from the community, society. It was like growing up in a place where it's totally okay to for 210 10 10-year-olds to take your skis and hike a huge mountain and just descend it. Like sure. nobody would really stop you. So it came there and But the weird thing about it was it was almost like I was climbing too much or I was skiing too much. It was like this was what I was brought up in Mm. and I couldn't really picture anything else. But while I was young, I could see these amazing articles in the in newspapers of people Bay jumping the troll wall, which is this huge vertical wall that I, I'm actually, I, I can see the top of the troll wall from my house. Wow. And uh, so I was reading about this and I, I was actually climbing and being in, in those mountains from a very, very young age. And uh, so, so I saw that wall and I, I saw where they had jumped from and it, it just started more and more to sparkle this idea of, mm. man, like, it's really cool to climb or hike a mountain and then take the shortcut down with sure. is but how it be in freefall. And then when I was, uh, I mean, it took some time. I was, sure. I had to go to the military mandatory military in Norway. And uh, there was some other things that I had to, to kind of tick off. And then, uh, when I was 20, I was ready and sign up for a static line course in the local little club, a couple hours north of where I grew up in, uh, That was was the beginning.
1: (laughs) Well, so that's the thing, right? So when you start that young, doing things that uh, um, most people, especially nowadays, find terrifying, did that give you uh, an easier time dealing with the the fear and the hesitation involved in skydiving, or was it just the same for you as it is for everybody else, where you shitting yourself?
0: It Was the same man, like it's uh, I, I, was, I was seriously scared. Wow. Like, I, I don't even remember my first skydive, like, wow. I, but I do remember I was hanging in a canopy. And you, so this is a static line, right? Sure. So you're just kind of like I was just hanging from uh, you know, the, 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 the attachment below the wing and sure let go. And all of a sudden, I was hanging in a canopy. I looked around and I was like, oh my god, I just <laughs> did a skydive and uh, the. But but I th- I think partially it is because everything I used to do or used, uh, still do, that I grew up with, I was always pretty good at it. I mm. mean, it's not that I was like this star or anything, but it was something me and all the people around were pretty tuned in on, whether it was, uh, you know, using the winter or summer up in the mountains. And then in the second I was there in that airplane, I had no clue what I was doing. And that that feeling of uh, all that uncertainty and uh, the lack of control was uh, almost a bit overwhelming. Sure. But I was motivated to put it like that. Uh, Nothing was really gonna stop me. I was willing to risk a lot to make this work. So. I didn't really question anything that happened on the first jump. It was just all about getting up there as soon as possible and just jump and jump and do more and more and more.
1: Sure. Well, it seems to be – I know a number of uh, climbers that have become very active base jumpers, a guy by the name of Nick Martinez and somebody I'm sure you know, Ivo Ninov, um, who are, you know, Evos. Yeah, I know. Oh, dude, he's a maniac! I fucking love that guy. Um, but again, same thing: hardcore climbers that wanted to, to find the the easy way down instead of having to walk down the back of the mountain. Um, it seems to be this really cool draw. Um, so, did you find the transition from skydiving to to base jumping? Once you were jumping, was it that was, that was the super easy transition? Or
0: yeah, I, I actually I have to say that the 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 beginning with taking the skydiving course was quite hard and. It was a challenging time of of just learning a lot of things that i had no clue about but uh the transition to base jumping was actually pretty smooth Mm. it was (laughs) it it was a bit like i was back where i was meant to be uh no framework no rules it's just like you're just out there in nature and uh you just have to deal with whatever weather and winds and you know rock features you're you're facing and i I really liked it i liked it from the first base jump and uh I knew, especially I think after I've done about 10 base jumps, I knew that I would never quit doing this. Mm. It was this a clear feeling in my body that uh, this is the most amazing raw nature experience you can ever have. And uh, to take those skills that I've learned in skydiving and, and and actually see that they could be applied into it, and it can also be combined with what I knew from before, from from climbing and skiing, and then the, you know, the upbringing. It, it was like everything came together. Now, did and, you uh, uh, uh,
1: were you one of these? Were you one of these ones that took um, skydiving quite seriously until you had it kind of dialed in before you took it to base jumping, or were you one of these that went, okay, I landed a parachute, let's go up on the mountain? <laughs>
0: okay well i I think i had 65 70 skydives and i did my first base jump so yeah that's a horrendously low number but i have to say though that i I never quit skydiving i kept on skydiving and uh, the the first couple of jumps i did from Antenna, which like it of course it would be better if i had a couple couple hundred skydives but then again you know and downwind off an antenna with a big field to land on you you can't really do much wrong but uh, when it comes to mountains and big wall jumping for sure those numbers are way too low and Mm. uh, i'm lucky to be alive today put it like that i I did a series of stupid mistakes Mm. and had a hard time realizing that i did mistakes because i had such a lack of experience from skydiving and uh yeah well you know funny thing so so I was having this base course here in Lund, where I live where we had this big group about 10 people that were here to to learn more about wingsuiting and then in the evening we were watching really old school movies like base movies and Skyrim movies and then uh, they we were watching one video of bay Ping from 2002 3 in Norway. Actually, sure. it was 2001 2002. And at the end of the video, one of the guys was like, That guy in a green canopy, is he still alive? And I was like, Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and they, they just couldn't believe their eyes that they were watching me like this safe to wear, kind of like you know semi old school dude that i've been sure. doing this for a long time and they were expecting all the smart advices and all that and they were watching my start and they were just they were watching the most gnarly hopeless base they could think on they're like what are you doing all right
1: well, that's where the wisdom came from, though, right? Because you survived it. I mean, you you did all the stupid shit and, and got lucky, which is another thing, actually, I wanted to ask. I find that there's two schools of thought with base jumpers. Either there's the ones that don't believe in luck or the ones that do believe in luck. Which one are you?
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I believe in luck because um, I don't know a single base jumper that have not had luck. Yeah. I mean, people are alive today. I mean, yeah. we, we, we talk about this a lot, and uh, we all have our fair share of stupid moments or moments of bad decisions. And sure. uh, they often happen, especially in the first three, four, five years of, of Beijing. Jumping is like simple and complex. You know, it, it is in many ways quite simple to jump off a mountain, fly straight forward, and open your canopy, which is a big ass canopy, and there's land. Mm. But it's super complicated because every jump is unique. You never really know about the wind conditions, the weather conditions. It's like everything varies. And, uh, and, uh, and the, the next layer of that is also we don't have any rules. Mm. There is no framework. And we can just imagine how skydiving would be if there were no rules. Like if everybody could just pull as low as they wanted to or send it out with base care, or, you know, not plan anything or jump in any kind of conditions. It would be a carnage, sure. globally carnage, be horrible. Sure. And it's just it won't work. But that's what we deal with in base jumping. And uh, it actually creates a very complex environment, especially in the beginning, because you can do anything.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, the community itself seems very complex as well because you guys… I mean, it's almost, it goes against the grain, the whole idea of policing anything, self policing, because that sport is all about the ultimate freedom. But you guys are also seeing people that are exercising that freedom in the stupidest of ways. And I'm sure you've seen more than your fair share of, of uh, bad things happen. And for those of us that don't base jump but have lots of friends in the community, we see that as well. And it's so, it's a, it's, you guys must be walking a really tough balancing act between wanting to be able to tell this guy, dude, you can't do what you're about to do. You're going to fucking die. And actually letting somebody, you know, do what they want to do.
0: Yeah. It's, Oh, it's such an interesting thing with uh, like the, how do you how do you express your concern or how do you how do you help people or or be a good friend in many ways it's uh it, it's weird because to be a truly caring good base shopping friend is uh often to give people a bit of the tough feedback you know it's about them that they shouldn't jump, they're not ready. They should practice more in skydiving or they should maybe reconsider their gear. and uh, or, or just, you know, that you're on the exit point and it's really windy and uh, some sure. people want to go and some people don't and those situations. And it's hard because we all really thrive for that freedom we, sure. we all want to have we, we it's almost like we all just want to get as far away from skydiving as possible for a little time <laughs> right, like right break right but then th- that's only fun if it goes okay uh, it's absolutely horrible when people die sure and, uh, not, not only is it horrible for them their family and you know, all that but it's also we, we can't have that or we, we should really work towards not having it sure. and that's where that uh, feedback comes in sure like, h- how do you how do you say that and I'm well, I'm I'm often trying to think in guidelines uh, I don't the, the word rules you can't really use that in Bei shopping or I don't think it's a good idea but right. guidelines is for the uh, desired or preferred direction you want to go in, or you know the the advice place to open your canopy or the the, the advice place to land. Like, you, okay, you can land anywhere else. You can pull in any kind of you want to, but the, the guideline or the advice is to rather be sure. a bit higher. Well, you I know, was, I mean, you tell if me if I'm. Good
1: no, no. Yours. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, it, it's like if if. If we all kind of like his own, this like vibe or his role of, of guiding people in the right way, it seems to, to educate us. It actually seems to work.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, you're now part of, um, I guess you'd say the, the older generation of base jumpers. I mean, you're kind of passing the torch on to a lot of the, the young guys that are coming along. Right. Um, But when you started, there wasn't this uh, kind of mentor possibility or this mentor feeling because there were no mentors. They were, you know, I mean, this was all trailblazing stuff. But now you guys who have been doing this for quite some time, I would think that the younger jumpers coming on, um, like if I wanted to start base jumping, the last thing in the world I would want to do would be to upset or freak out somebody that i looked up to and respected so i'd imagine that kind of has to go a long way in that community doesn't it
0: yeah well the the, i I think it really depends on the on the person and uh we have some we 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 really do have some great mentors Mm. in our community um chris dukes mcdougall might be the kind of number one mentor he he's been there for 25 30 years mm. and he's funny cool party harder than everyone else but then it's also very safe to wear it's very rare to see dukes take a unnecessary risk mm. and uh, on the other hand you have more people like me which is uh yeah I, I i've always liked to push it like push push, push further more faster cooler better like more fun and uh, and that pushy style of jumping is uh, in some ways making me less of a good mentor mm. because when when the new new kids on the block is, <laughs> is looking at what I do or they want to join in, the, um, uh, I, it's it's like uh, the only way I can try and mentor them me is like, okay, listen to my story because I'm lucky to be alive. So just don't do like me. And then I right. just need to kind of like try to. Tell them a bad story about myself, which is true. Right, and then, then hopefully they will listen and think, okay, so maybe maybe that's not the right right way. Then.
1: So now, what's one of these stories that you would tell somebody? So I'm going to go out and base jumping, and and uh, you think I'm going to do something stupid. What's the story you're going to tell me to keep myself from being too much of an idiot? Oh, <laughs> that many.
0: I, I have so many stories of. Uh, I have so many stories of. I often say that my ego has always tried to kill me. <laughs> and uh it, it's kind of hard to admit but it's it's a reality of life sure. I mean, every time i've injured it's my ego that just told me to ski too hard or them too hard or something like that sure and one of the one of the weirdest and stupidest stories of my life would be in 2001 when i decided that i really wanted to track out a place called called, called kalskratin and this is tracking with no track pants or anything it's just like hiking pants and, and hoodie. Uh, sure and um it's is i think it was like five six other people that have ever tracked it out and they were all pretty dialed in solid experienced skydivers and person jumpers and i was not it was uh very early on with my uh jumping in uh I was standing up there and, and uh, ironically the guy I was skiing with today we were standing up there together but it was a lot of other people there as well and he screamed to me like I want to see how many front flips you can do and I was like "No, nah, I'm gonna track he's like nah you lose your command front flips and I was like no 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 I'm gonna track it out and he was like no you're not gonna do that and then I just told him well if I don't track it out I'm done I'm dead <laughs> and then I just jumped out and uh I had a bit of a shitty start on the track, which is like, at that point, you should definitely pull. Like right. if, you, if you can't get your track getting started in Carlton with just normal pants, you, you you should give up. But I didn't. And then it started to kick in. and I was like, all right, I can do this. And then uh, you come into the no-pull zone. I mean, this is basically proxifying in hiking pants. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, uh, so I was I was finding myself in this no-pull zone for... I think about 9, 10 seconds. And uh, at the very end of that talus, there is this like steeper park with some slopy rock features where you get a little bit of altitude so you can open your canopy. And uh, I was so stoked at the end of the fight that I just lost my track. I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm making it. And I stopped tracking all of a sudden. So I was like, basically falling over the last part of that slab with, pretty much no altitude up my canopy and uh, landed and all those experienced skydivers and baypers over there they were just like, what the hell was that? <laughs> that is the most yellow card of all times." <laughs> and uh, yeah, those stories just kept on coming and coming and uh, of course, like looking back at it in retrospect, I was lucky to be alive of that one and uh, but I've done it in more like later on. When I was, I was in Bangkok doing the perfect Fight series. And uh, of course, stupid me wanted to do a front riser hook turn on my base canopy into that street in Bangkok. And I was so sleepy on my hands. I, I just couldn't hold. On. I didn't have handles on the mm. front. So I had to hold on to them without. And then I they just slipped out of my hands. And I smashed into the building on like second, third floor into a light pole and fell to the ground again you know ego trying to kill me because i could just cruise down on toggles it was a great jump jesus it was amazing this beautiful two-way of the highest building in bangkok and then of course i had to do this stupid end move and uh
1: (laughs) well so i mean
0: have you gotten to the point
1: now in your jumping where before you're going out on a project like this you're kind of trying to keep your ego in check or is that ego still putting you in corners
0: I would love to say yes.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that being said, before the podcast, I—I I was going to say before the podcast, I wanted to uh, ask you about the jump I just watched you do through a fucking snowstorm. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 we can go to that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it's hard to completely change your personality to something you dream of, right? Sure. It's uh, you are who you are, and then you can, of course, read books and learn and listen to a lot of smart people, and uh, hopefully you also mature a bit. And, uh, well, I have matured for sure. Um, one of the things that I really see now compared to when I was in my 20s is that I really don't want to get injured. Hmm. I've been injured a couple of times, and... Uh, uh, actually my, my girlfriend got badly injured last year broke her back and femur on a skydive and mm. it's like to see those processes when 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 you get injured and the, the time it takes to come back and and also how badly it can affect you for the rest of your life sure like i really love skydiving and base jumping and i want to do it until i die of age mm. and uh, if i am to do that i i just need to be a bit. Safer in how I approach things. Sure. uh, Well, the. Like my ego is smaller, but uh, my awareness of safety is bigger, I think.
1: Which is awesome. I mean, the the injury stuff, um, I think is, obviously, it should be a huge fear because the injury and and the pain that you end up having to deal with and recovering, and I I know a little bit about your girlfriend's uh, accident and recovery and stuff. I had seen posts of of her recovery, which is fucking epic. Um, She was kicking ass. In fact, I think I saw a picture of her getting ready to do a base jump, her first base jump back and being super stoked and uh, to have to push that hard for what she was rehabbing for over a year, yeah?
0: yeah yeah it was uh one full year of rehab and uh you know that that in, that involves uh, includes six months on morphine Oof. and that, that's like she's not the kind of person that would just hang out on morphine sure. uh, that's because of the pain and uh and one thing is the physical part of it another thing is the mental part like, how do you really get back from something like that and uh, manage to relax and be a good resource in your own community? Right. She's actually today she was doing a canopy course with Pete Allen, and that's one of many efforts that she has to to regain mental and physical strength and the ability to not end up in such a situation again. Sure. Because we. We can't do that many times in our skydiving career.
1: Well, and I mean, uh, skydiving is, is one thing. And, and for me, flying is, is one thing, but with base jumping, you guys can't be unsure of yourselves, not with the type of jumping that you're doing. So how do you get back to that mental state where you're able to stand at this launch point, confident that you can do what you're about to try and pull off. I mean, to get back to there must be monumental.
0: Yeah, it's uh definitely quite a journey. And, um, I think, and and this is something that I've gotten very aware of the last five six years. It's the the value of flying a lot, and that to fly actually fly tunnel vertical tunnel mm. or in that new wingsuit tunnel, um, skydive a lot and uh, and get coaching and and evolve is is helping a lot. Mm. Right? because jumping in a wingsuit is at least when you, you start getting really good at it. The, the the mountain itself is almost like a launch point into what you already know sure so even though you've been away from jumping for a long time if you are super current in your wingsuit and uh you've you done a lot of skydiving and you really you really dialed in on on everything you do when at least in terminal speed you you're much more able to break down everything and the see things more clear and then kind of create something that potentially is insane into something more sane sure
1: well now uh, you've been in it a long time now so i'm guessing you've seen a whole lot of changes but how much has the progression of the gear especially wingsuits uh, added to shit that you would have once thought impossible that now is almost you know every day
0: oh it's wow yeah it's it's a good question you know that when 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 I got into the sport and I uh, put on a wingsuit, I think that was in two thousand one. So at that point, the wingsuit had been on the market for a few years, and uh, things evolved pretty fast. Ever since then, I've been listening to to people saying, "Now we have reached, you know, a a stop. Mm. Now we reached a level like we're not going to move forward from here. You know, this this is pretty much like a new level, and we're going to stay here." But uh, it, it's just been wrong every time, and it, it actually seems to be accelerating. Mm. And uh, the, the change of wingsuits from from when I started to now is uh, is massive. It's such a huge difference. And I, I think the it's gone through this like phases where around 2010-11, the truly big suits came. And uh, that was a big game changer in in like how much vertical altitude we needed to have to be able to start flying from exit points. That that was a massive change. Where big, before that, we usually looked at like, yeah, we need about 250 meters least of, of vertical drop. And then the big suit started really coming and, and that dropped to like 150, 160. And then up to today where uh, people are. I, I mean, I, I, I jumped this place here uh, last summer and uh, after 100 meters vertical, you need to be 30 meters horizontal. Mm. And that's not like compared to a lot of the exits that have been opened in Colorado and some of the places in the States, for example, that, that's not even pushing it. and uh, And combined with that, it's also a lot of knowledge of the importance of winds, for example, uh, how much better you actually take off if you have anabatic winds like updraft coming um, you know up to an exit point and that leads to you know the choices so of when do you really want to jump in the day uh when is that updraft at its best mm. and how is that compared to the more laminar winds you know like the, the larger conditions in the area and all that has really changed and when it comes to wingsuits there, also, there was also another thing that happened, and that was in 2016, because that was the first, it wasn't the first year, but it was the second year of uh, of uh, Red Bull Aces. And uh, a lot of the manufacturers started pushing really hard to get a suit that could win that race. Mm. And especially Squirrel put huge resources into developing a race suit. It would be interesting to hear their story of mm. how hard they worked to to, to take something to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. So they they created the the Squirrel series. And uh now today, four years later, uh a lot of other brands have also been, you know, catching up on that. But what happened in 2016 was the creation of an and like this fine tuned race suit that had the ability to flare, you know, like the flare might be a weird word to use for you as a pilot, but uh, gain rate—you mm. know—it was uh, sure that it had an ability to fly up again, and because it had such sure. an agile performance in it, uh, it just created this fighter plane to fly, and <laughs> that turned the whole sport, where they were skydiving or base jumping in the wingsuit, so turned it much more dynamic everything just went from sure. really static to really go in all kinds of directions and uh, and and since then interestingly the 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 whole the whole pace of of the sport and how we fly has just increased massively
1: Well, from from a spectator's perspective, watching it as an outsider and seeing, um, you know, when the videos first started hitting YouTube and stuff of uh, terrain flying, it was, um, you knew what to expect. Somebody was either going to just be slowly carving around the terrain or they were going to be down dirty, making you shit yourself, but they all looked similar. And then all of a sudden came this really dynamic stuff going on, including what you called the flare. I remember the first time I saw the video of somebody flaring in a wingsuit and realizing that they. We're going fucking up and then almost hitting a zero G point And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then that to now what you see with um, them making skydives where they're basically free flying um, better in a wingsuit than I can without one. <laughs> it's, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. It's been, it's been a really cool evolution to be part of. And uh, when I was, well, I think this was around 2014, 15, I was, uh, I was in a way, I felt like I was repeating myself, and I think a lot of people around me. Uh, I know I talked a lot to Yuki Summer about this, where we, we both felt that and we were just doing the same thing over and over again, taking lots, and lots of risk, flying mm. these semi-static lines, really close to terrain. And uh, at, in that period, a lot of people that were more pure base jumpers and pure wingsuiters started flying. Uh, free flying, and uh, maybe, mm. maybe, but maybe not. At least people started flying like, tunnel. A lot of vertical tunnel. Mm. Personally, I became a tunnel instructor, and I was just working a lot in the tunnel environment, and learned so much about, you know, how do you fly your body that I had no clue how. Big. Sure, it was weird how little I knew after. 15 years in sport at the same time you, you, you had a lot of free flyers that took their free fly skills mm. into wingsuit so was a lot of uh, the high-end free flyers that uh, you know like uh, no banson or michael couch or you can name many many names there but a lot of sure came more from free flying into uh, the wingsuit environment, and it just revolutionized the way we were thinking because we all realized that sure it's the same thing It's actually the same thing. Like, Mm. there is no real difference between uh, moving your body in a wingsuit and moving your body without. It's all about belly flying, Mm. back flying on different angles. And, uh, you know, pick up the speed, slow down the speed, use it, fly relative to each other, understanding the environment, the more three dimensional environment. Sure. It's it's been such a cool ride to be part of the last five, six years. And I, I would say that the last couple of years, I've learned more than I did the first 15 it's just, it's wow. just yeah i mean just invention
1: Watching the crazy progression again as an outsider has been a blast, and I had the chance uh, to sit and talk to Nick uh, Scalabrino uh, and Matt Munting, both of whom, you know, hardcore free flying in these wingsuits, and and uh, um, uh, Nick coming from a, a big time free flying background um, was the one that was saying that for body awareness there was nothing better than transitioning from being able to you know free fly as well as he could into wingsuits because he's. You you need that uh, that body awareness and that understanding, and he's like, it was you know absolutely incredible, and then to watch the what you guys have been able to do with it is just insane.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, Matt and Nick, it, they're really interesting because they both have extremely high free fly skills from developed internal yes. flying. So they they are on such a high level that. Nothing is really holding them back in a wingsuit, but to get to the right. level that they have in free flying, you need years and years and years. Uh, it's like a full-on yes. commitment in a discipline over a long time. And uh, yes. personally, I, I put in hundreds of hours in the tunnel and done a lot of free flying, but I'm not even near, remotely near their level in free flying. And it's quite interesting because sure. when I'm trying to learn new things in a wingsuit in more like a free fly way, I can it's like the mistakes I do in free flying become bigger mistakes in a wingsuit. So if I have some kind of issue, I would imagine. Yeah. So if, if I have some kind of issue in the way I do, you know, a layout or something, a snake or like small things, you get punished really hard for it in a wingsuit. And that is interesting because it tells the story of how difficult it is to fly hmm clean dynamically and advanced in the wings it's actually really difficult it's fascinating how hard it is sure
1: Well, and with the progression that, uh, I mean, you were kind of lucky enough to be in it from the time when wingsuits didn't have nearly the amount of power that they do now. But I can't imagine if someone were to do with a wingsuit, the same thing that a lot of skydivers do with canopies, which is downsize too fast or get to high performance too quickly, you can absolutely do the same thing in a wingsuit. And I've seen on my descent in the airplane, wingsuiters getting their asses handed to them by their own suits. Uh, I mean, that's got to be pretty intense to, to be trying to puzzle out what the fuck your suit is doing to you in freefall, so that you can make it stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know that it's almost like we are being bitten a bit in our tails by the most modern wingsuits because they are very pressurized and uh, mm. quite agile in their, in its behavior. So the the suits that you know is they're they're so big that they basically cover your whole body and uh, are agile, they're they're a bit of like beasts. You, you don't joke with them. Sure. They, um, they they need to be treated with respect. And uh, to get like a bad, bad flat spin in one of the bigger suits is a really bad situation to be in. You really don't want to experience it. You, you just don't want to get there. And the, the trick is sure. to use small suits a lot. But maybe not... Not just small suits, but actually take the time to get good at belly flying, free flying, you know, all the and and build up all the foundations and and get good at it and you know spend time in skydiving, truly enjoy those disciplines because the more you you're into angle flying and free flying and belly flying all that you you get this awareness of how your body behaves in air and uh, and and level like something as simple and hard as level is uh, something that is crucial when you start going dynamically in, in a suit. There's just nothing is really working if you don't understand the environment you're going to put yourself in. And uh, yeah, the sure. combination of not fully understanding what you're putting yourself in and this beast of agile, big ass suit is, is uh, it's not a good direction to go in. <laughs>
1: yeah now it was it was uh, uh that the drive that pushed you into wanting to become a, a tunnel instructor was being able to just kind of be a more well-rounded jumper all the way?
0: yeah, hundred percent i um I was, again, you know I, I was uh, in a in a way repeating myself quite a lot in in flying, and uh, I did see way too many people die, and it it was mm. uh, a bit of this unhealthy environment. It was almost like, you got this, you got weirdly cynical, but also, um, you know, the motivation was starting to fall apart. It was like, what is going on now? Uh, I think it was 2000, I don't remember, but we had like 30, 40 people dying every year and we're a small mm. community. So it started to turn pretty ridiculous. So I, th- I think it was almost like a bit of this um, a mental treatment in a way to, to go into something completely different, which is tunnel flying and uh, be there in this controlled environment where you get dressed off com- completely right you, you you, whatever you know you nail but whatever you don't know you have no clue about and you just need to seek help and guidance and get good training sure. and and work minute by minute to increase those skills and i had a clear desire to to evolve and and get better and i was very inspired by especially noah benson and annie farrington and uh, Mike Swanson and uh, those guys—they they really showed the way in what was possible if you put together many different disciplines and you had this like big, broad understanding of how to actually fly together. And uh, it, it's probably the best decision I've done in my life was to to go to the tunnel and start flying there. Uh, I wasn't alone awesome. about taking that decision. It was many BASE jumpers that did and. In some ways, I think it's made us a bit safer. uh, Now today, it's almost like when we go jumping, it's not about flying as close as we can to terrain. It's more about a line you want to fly where we want to put in some more dynamic and fun things that we have practiced a lot in skydiving. And then it makes more sense to stay a little bit further away. Because then you, you you get a little bit more of that mental capacity in the moment, and uh, you you rather use that capacity to to you know be very accurate and and run the base jumps like you would if you you know you have a larger formation skydiving and everything needs to be dialed in on the ground. You know, walk the jumps, practice them, and then you go up and do them. And uh, we we've been able, a lot of us, been able to put that into base jumping, and it's it's a good feeling of mastery when you have a fairly advanced plan which is also very detailed where you you want to actually sure. a very specific way where everybody's time perfectly on exit and you want to fly exactly that specific line do those specific moves and then you want to open your canopy in a thousand feet exactly in the exact perfect opening area with you know separation and everything and then land smoothly like when you do all those things and you nail it it's uh it's a healthy but also a super cool way of a Oh,
1: it's got to be. Now, with stuff like that, I mean, I've seen some of these videos now and especially because of the suits, you guys are able to do these ridiculously long runs um, and... Flying through I mean, terrain that to the naked eye looks like it would be impossible to navigate. How are you guys mapping these out? I mean, I know you're trying to find exit points that allow uh, for the vertical drop until you can start flying. But are you guys are you using computer mapping and stuff like that to be able to find these amazing routes, or are you finding them in the
0: air, or how's how's that work? I think it it, uh, differs from place to place, but uh, for sure, I I use a lot of maps Um, here in Norway and the Alps and the States. Most places in the world now, you have really good topographic uh, information that you can use to analyze, for example, the the steepness of a slope or the features, Mm. how big they are, or, you know, identify critical points where... It's crucial to to have certain speed or height when you pass them, and then that But but maps is just one of many tools, and uh, I think in, maybe especially in Alps, the European in Alps, you have enormous mountains to form, and altitude difference can be up to you know more than ten thousand feet. Uh, in those mountains, hmm. it can be quite complicated especially if you haven't flown them before it's uh, it's such a long ride like if you find five six kilometers and uh it's almost hard to remember what your your what your plan was in freefall but in norway we we normally don't have more than about five thousand feet and the, the the teachers and and how the mountains look like here uh, make you able to pretty much see everything uh, in the combination of seeing it from below and then from above, and then if you combine those two things with some proper studies of maps, you normally have a pretty good idea of what you want to do. And then in videos, okay. it often looks uh, like we're flying horrendously flat, but we're really not. It's kind of like the camera angle lies, because most sure. of the lines that we do here in Norway and actually in the Alps as well, they they're often as steep as uh, two to one so two meters forward and for every meter you fall down and 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 in a wingsuit in a modern wingsuit that's uh that's really steep terrain you you, you're easily a good good pilot is easily able to make three to one glider show so when you find terrain like that you can in any moment you can just flatten out and gain a lot of altitude relative to the terrain
1: Sure, and get away from it yeah. now, um speaking of of uh, terrain and different jumps and stuff, tell me about the snow jump i that I gotta hear about this because i re- I watched that video and I went, "Are you fucking kidding me <laughs> <laughs> <It's>,
0: <laughs> they're they're in the snow come on <laughs> so so I live in a place uh in Norway, and I've uh, got a cable car here. Uh, it's a cable car bringing you from uh, the fjord and up to the top of mountain mountain about three thousand feet. And, uh, well, it's just outside my window here. Um, I live here and uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I jump it a lot, like hundreds of times. <laughs> and uh, I'm very used to it and quite comfortable with it. Now, the beauty of, sure. of uh, the cable car is you're basically indoor all day. You're just outside for a few minutes, fine. And then you're just back indoor again in this warm, comfortable <laughs> restaurant environment. So it's a very odd way of day jumping. And uh, there are two things we need for a base shampi- uh, for a here. Shampi- I'd say it's uh, you need visibility and you need uh, decent wind conditions. And uh, you you can totally have a lot of snow and still have good visibility. That's no problem. Sure. And uh, on top of that, we we've been starting uh, jumping a lot where the cameraman is wearing a very powerful headlamp. So okay yeah and and it's it's like it's winter time here now so it's quite dark and uh so so it's kind of like expand the hours you know early in the morning and late in the evening you can you can keep on jumping when it start to get a bit dark and then uh, the 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 headlamp is actually mostly for filming just to kind of like have this like constant flash almost uh, filming the the object sure first point and uh but on that video it's actually the, the headlamp that is visualizing the snow it's like because of that headlamp, lamp you can see snow everywhere but i have to say that yeah. jumping in snow is the most fun thing you can do it's like going straight into star <laughs> trek it's full on warp speed it's the <laughs> weirdest thing like because you never see snow like okay i mean you never see snow moving that fast you kind of do if you drive no. off in snowy conditions you, you know you have that same warp feeling but the thing is like when well, Bishop, we got More than two hundred kilometers per hour, so it's ridiculous how fast now it's coming towards you, and it's like you just (laughs) watch. It's like you're going through universe. It's funny. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was – watching that video was insane, and and I was trying to picture what it must have been like from your guys' perspective because the camera is kind of looking sideways. So you see the snow coming past at a different angle, but, of course, you're looking straight ahead, and and I could – I was trying to wrap my head around that because I know what it's like flying a a plane through a a rainstorm, and you kind of get a similar effect, but I couldn't imagine (laughs) – Just and you guys are just going balls out, but it makes it even more entertaining that you hop off of a cable car and then bomb down (laughs) the mountain, do that jump, and then you're back in a nice warm room. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. So we we've we've actually been talking a lot about doing this much more. So because because the snow conditions on that video was uh, very light snow. I wouldn't call that heavy snow. And uh, so we really want to do it on like the perfect day when it's it's like you can still see the ground, you can still see the line, but it's like solid amounts of snow in there. And uh, I think that could be an amazing experience. You, you
1: you'd come down looking, the, your leading edges would all be covered in snow and ice. Full
0: icing. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be <laughs> icing. <laughs>
1: That's wild. Now, so that's the here's a here's a, a a random uh airplane question for you. Um how much uh are you going to be affected flight characteristic wise if you're picking up a bunch of ice and snow on the leading edges of that suit cuz it's going to fuck with the airflow.
0: <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. No <laughs> That's what I-, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, we actually talked about this because I've had that experience in skydiving, where where hmm. I was, uh, you know, after separation, we flew in clouds, and it was a really cold springtime in 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 Norway, and and uh, it was it was like the whole the whole leading edge was just stiff of ice. It was weird. Uh, it was sure. unsafe, but it was definitely this like weird feeling of wow, I'm I'm just covered in ice there.
1: But I th- Yeah, that's
0: crazy. I so I think that go ahead the, the advantage that we have is that we have soft wings. So, yep, yeah. it can be, you know, it can end up with a lot of snow on the leading edge, but you can always just kind of shake it off in freefall. <laughs> you are <laughs> there and shake it off and then uh, and it's totally fine. You know,
1: it's funny cuz I've I've never made a base jump. Uh, I've not even done a a wingsuit jump and they're both um very appealing to talk about, and the idea of them is very appealing to me. But I'd never fucking do it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that bridge too far for me. But I'm so intrigued by what goes into it, and I understand the principles behind it, and and uh, I really really appreciate the aesthetics of it, and what you guys have have done over the years. There's just I'd never be able to do it. So I I love being able to talk to people that are doing this shit because I get to live vicariously through you guys. <laughs> so what do you have any big projects that are coming up next uh, anything that uh, um you've been wanting to try that haven't been able to yet
0: yeah there is one and uh it's been in the talking for a long time and it's to to skydiving in uh, northern lights mm. and uh that would be absolutely yeah, epic yeah it, it's been this thing we've been talking about it and we were meant to do it last year and then we didn't get the conditions and uh, the thing with it is it's really challenging logistically so it's just a skydive okay it's a nighttime skydive or at least in the almost dark uh, time and um uh, that adds on a little bit. And of course it's winter time, so it could potentially be negative 30, negative 25. It can be really cold, but that you can deal with that. It's, it's all about being well-prepared equipment wise. But the challenge is to actually manage to be in a helicopter or airplane jumping out when it happens with the, hmm. the camera gear that works and that everything is set up correctly. Because no, the Northern light is often, it, it, uh, it appears, and then it, it's there for just like it can be half an hour it can be an hour but it's mm. not lasting for a long time and it's really hard to predict and know exactly when it's happening they do have some forecasting on it but you need to be basically standby through the winter and you need to have all the logistics prepared everything ready and then in the second you see whoa it's happening then you go and then when that forecast Jeez. for northern lights is happening you also need blue sky or you know open clear sky you need uh, the right to the wind conditions and so it's a really tricky project but uh we hope to to do it this year we we really hope and we we have pretty much everything ready so that would be a dream
1: i mean that's pretty wild what do you want standby for the northern lights yeah. <laughs> we're waiting for this shit to kick off so yeah. we can go <laughs> I mean, when you got started in all this stuff, did any of the stuff that you're doing these days ever cross your mind as, as possible when you just got started in skydiving? Because you're doing stuff that people pull up on, you know, on whatever, Facebook or on YouTube, and they're watching these videos just blown away. But this is stuff that you do all the time now. But, I mean, do you ever just look around and go, I I don't believe this shit? <laughs>
0: I I couldn't imagine the efficiency of the wingsuits and, and the way we fight today. I could not imagine that in the beginning. But I came from skiing and a lot of big mountain skiing and what the, back then in the, in 2000 skiing it was um, well, I was part of a large crew that was doing a lot of filming, we were doing ski movies and we were competing. In that community it's all about the line you ski it's about seeing a mountain mm. plan the, the the most beautiful line and then ski it uh you know sometimes you tricks and moves in it or it can be like super high speed or big cliffs to drop off and but it was all about thinking how do i shape my piece of art down this big mountain and that mentality mm. of, of creating a line i, I really kind of brought that with me into the way I was thinking around base jumping. And, uh, I've hmm. always been like dreaming and picturing ever since the beginning of what kind of lines can we do? Like, how can we solve this piece of puzzle of a mountain? Like how can we fly it down? How can we add on cool moves together? And how can we create a piece of art? Like uh, a beautiful sure. video that is, is, is screening, showing, uh, showcasing something that I, I find it absolutely incredible to Bishop. It's the coolest thing I can think of.
1: Well, I mean, Again, uh, being able to sit back and watch it all, uh, I'm in awe on a very regular basis. And one of the coolest things about being able to watch all of this stuff and technology being what it is and and giving us access to watch you guys do this, it's also the fact that a lot of the people that I watch doing these things are are friends of mine that you get to sit back and it gives you, um, as a spectator, almost a sense of ownership in what's going on because you get to go – I know that fucking guy. Look at him go, and it's so you're super proud of your friend's accomplishments. So it's always amazing when you see this next level because you're thinking, "Oh God, what are they going to do next?" And it's a little bit of uh, a little bit of nervousness too because obviously um, it's a dangerous progression. Um, I, but I I think. Um, I'm finally kind of seeing the change in, in not seeing as much terrain stuff going on kind of has people like me taking a deep breath and going, okay, that's, I feel a little bit better now, (laughs) you know,
0: but I, it it is nice being, it is a dangerous game and it's always going to be. And, uh, I, I, I I catch myself several times, you know, in regular life where I'm thinking, Ooh, I I get this like feeling inside myself is kind of, semi-uncomfortable feeling of of all the risk that me and my girlfriend and all my friends are putting us in. And uh, the, the sure. only solution I have for for you know that feeling or that that I have for us and, and myself is to be very motivated and jump a lot and be particular and, and fight tunnel and skydive and you know like just, just be super current and, and be totally dialing with what we do. That's it seems to be the only Gives Solutions so he's like, fight the fear by doing it a lot, uh, or or fight the uncertainty, sure. finding answers, and, and uh, just keep on moving forward. And th- those moments when people are actually like moving the sport forward, it can be Matt and Nick doing flips next to each other in freefall off a mountain in Dubai, or it can be anything. Like those moments, sure, they don't come easily. It's like, it's uh, mm. now today with the level we have, people are putting in so much work before those moments comes. And and, uh, and uh, I have massive respect every time I see something like that happens because uh, I, I know how hard I work to to get there. And uh, and oh, sure. they do something like that, they actually, they, they bring something new into the sport and then that is gonna drag the rest of us with them. So, so they just like inspire the whole community and all like, whoa! Boom, and there we go. Sure, and uh, sure.
1: Well, I mean, that seems to be the biggest thing too. Is right? All you guys have this incredible passion for what you do. So when you see someone doing something new, that's just something new for you to push for and be even more passionate about. And it's great because I—it's ju- just this circle of you guys driving each other along, which is fantastic.
0: I love it. Yeah. I, I so really
1: love it. now. Do you, um, do you offer uh, – I know you're a, a wind tunnel instructor. Do you offer base courses, wingsuit courses, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, it's been a bit on and off. I'm, uh, I'm mostly coaching skydiving. Uh, that, that's okay. just turned into the thing I enjoy the most is to do one-on-one and group coaching and, and skydiving. I've done some uh, wingsuit-based courses here in the wind, And uh, we, we were meant to do it last year, but uh, Corona. So not sure. a lot happened in 2020, but I'm um, uh, open for especially one-on-one coaching in Luleå and in the surroundings here, where helping, mentoring people, um, getting better in uh, wings of base especially. And um, I do quite a lot of uh, coaching in the the wings of tunnel in Sweden, and uh, that's heaps of awesome. fun. That's a, that's a fun place to be. And, um, guiding as well, like just, uh, help people to find the right exits and, um, you know, analyze their, their, their skill sets and experience and, uh, give good advices and join people to beautiful exit points that fits their, their level. That's uh,
1: awesome. Now, how do people uh, find you on social media? How do they find you if they want to get some of that coaching? Um, how do they track you down?
0: The best way to track me down is either through my Facebook, which is in my name, Aspen Fodness, or on Instagram. That's that's my name, straightforward as well, Aspen Fodness. and uh, yeah.
1: and just direct message you there and say, hey, I wanna I wanna learn how to do some of this shit.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, that awesome. we can talk and then we can go and skydive and fun together.
1: Awesome. Espen, man, I tell you what, I can't thank you enough for taking time. I know you were just in the mountains and came back just to to do this with me. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time, man. It was fucking awesome talking to you.
0: What a great hour. It was fun. It's not often that I bring back all those old memories and uh, thank you so much for uh, great questions and a good time.
1: No, thanks for sharing it, man. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Talk soon. See ya.
1: Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the extreme sports collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs rigging courses and more by flyaway indoor skydiving go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting edge stuff to come by pure spectrum cbd head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of cbd products and as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, we'll see you next time.